So I'm going to be looking at passages in the um, the Pew Bibles. So um, that'll be our text, and I'll call out page numbers as I find them. Patrick, do me a favor and pick a card, any card. Okay. All right, the long one with writing all over it. Okay. Okay. All right. So uh, the the passage says, or the the question says, Matthew twenty one verses tw- verse twelve. So we can be finding that. Um, Matthew twenty one verse twelve in the pew Bible will be on page twenty three in the back. So the back section of the Bible, page twenty three, and the question is this: What is the significance of Jesus's apparent anger and use of force in driving the money changers out of the temple. It seems uncharacteristic of Jesus. Is anger and force okay to do good? Not for revenge, and then a a reference to Romans 12, but to protect good people from evil ones. All right. So let's go ahead and look at the passage, and then we'll we'll try to answer the question. So uh, Jesus enters the temple. And drove out all who were selling and burning, uh, buying in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Okay. So there are, this is recorded in all four accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. And so we see um, this is something that the early church thought was very significant. Jesus went into the temple and um, cleansed it of the people who were buying and selling um, animals and changing money. Uh, very quickly, just culturally, the way that the the way that the temple worked is they had um, a place where people who would come to uh, um, Judea for the festival, uh, no matter where they came from in the empire, they could change their monies, which sometimes had uh, graven images like a picture of Caesar or something like that on it. They could change it for the temple shekel, which was. Um, uh, free of any graven images, so that was one of the reasons they did that. The other reason is, um, frankly, because you didn't know what that coin was worth, so they gave them a place to weigh it out and say, "Okay, well, I've never seen a Turkish denarius or something, so uh, that turns out to be worth 1.3 um, shekels or whatever." So it was a, basically a money changing operation, like you see when you go overseas. So they did that. They also sold um, sheep. And, and other uh, animal sacrifice animals. And the reason for that was because um, if you're a farmer and you've got a bad sheep, uh, the temptation is always going to be there to sacrifice that one instead of the good sheep. And there's all kinds of passages in the um, uh, prophets where it says, don't bring your bad animals to God, bring your best before God. So it was kind of a quality quality control station. The other thing is if you've come from 80 miles away, you don't want to be driving your best sheep along the way because it won't be your best sheep anymore by the time you get there. So instead, you can just uh, you can just buy a sheep there in Jerusalem to do your sacrifice or whatever. So that was that was the idea. But Jesus shows up and he says, "This is not what I want." He says, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. So he quotes two different passages of scripture. He quotes from Isaiah, who says um, that uh, the, the, the purpose of the house, this temple, is to be a house of prayer for all nations. Uh, Isaiah says specifically that the foreigners, the outcasts, uh, the eunuchs, all kinds of people who were kind of looked down on in that culture 
could participate in the worship of the people. And Jesus quotes that verse and he says, you're also making it a den of robbers. And this gets to the question, which is, um, what is going on there? Jesus says that the people who are operating the temple, the people in authority over the temple at this point, are like the ones Jeremiah spoke about who um, were supposed to be taking care of the sheep, but instead they were acting more like robbers. So Jesus has very negative words about it. And in fact, um, the question says, it seems uncharacteristic of Jesus. Well, it does. You know, I think a lot of us have a picture of Jesus, you know, uh, with a sheep on his uh, shoulders and a child in his lap. That's the happy Jesus. But the one place in Scripture where we consistently see Jesus um, angry, you know, veins on his forehead sticking out, you know, spit flying as he as he says something, um, is when he's dealing with mean religious people. And that's what he's doing here. So I think it is characteristic of Jesus in a very narrow uh, part of his ministry. So is anger and force okay to do good? Um, uh, not for revenge, but to protect good people from evildoers. Um, uh, I think, uh, let's go ahead. Uh, all right. If Jesus does it, it's good. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say theologically yes. Um, I will say that that is a difficult thing to manage. Um, get your own house in order first, and then you'll be in a better place to, to judge like Jesus did. Um, the reality is, I'm, I'm corrupt, okay? And my guess is you're corrupt too. I mean, maybe you're the one perfect person in the room, but, but my guess is you're corrupt, and I think it's very hard for us to search our feelings and say, is it that we're, um, you know, what are our motivations as we try to take care of this situation that looks like, um, that looks like it's a ripoff or something like that? Um, I'm not saying that, that it, that we can never be activists. Okay. Scripture calls us to be activists, but I think we have to be very careful about judging the people who we're, we're opposed to. We can say, I don't like what you're doing, but we have to be very careful at being angry at them and, um, Hating them. Jesus says specifically to, to pray for our neighbors, um, to pray for our enemies. I mean, if we only pray for good people, then what good is that? He says pray for our enemies. So uh, we can be angry at what they're doing, but we should not be angry at what they're, what, uh, who they are. Um, so, and if we're, if we're as pure as Jesus, that's easy to manage. And if we're corrupt human beings, that sometimes is hard to tease apart. All right. That's question one. All right. Pick another one. Okay. A yellow one. Oh, my goodness. It's a treatise. Okay. All right. Topic, social media and fake news. Okay. Okay. These ivory tower questions, you know, that no one really cares about. All right. After his own problems with, quote, fake news, end quote, Pope Francis has this to say, It is striking that at times, in claiming to uphold the other commandments, they completely ignore the eighth, which forbids bearing false witness or lying, and ruthlessly vilify others. Here we see how the unguarded tongue set on fire by hell sets all things ablaze. All right, so um, the eighth commandment, let's go ahead and take a look at that just so we can all find our commandments. Um, so that's Deuteronomy 5, which is found on page uh, 163. It's also Exodus 20, but we'll look at the one in Deuteronomy. So, um, sorry, 162 in the front portion of the Bible. And um, it's verse 20, 520. And uh, this is one of the Ten Commandments. And uh, it says, 
neither shall you bear false witness against your neighbor. And um, uh, people can sometimes debate, does that mean I can never lie? Um, Augustine said that there's eight categories of lie. You know, if the, if the Nazis are in your kitchen saying, are you hiding any Jews in your house? Um, that lying is wrong, but it may not be the worst wrong in that situation, right? That there's a, a hierarchy of wrong, but lying is always wrong. But that's not what the Pope is talking about here. In this case, he's saying you're specifically lying about other people. You are bearing false witness against other people, right? It would help my political cause if everybody thought that that person colluded or didn't collude or, or whatever, whatever my topic is, right? Whatever, whatever particular thing I'm trying to do, that if I have, you know, a perfectly good reason to believe that, that, um, that this, um, this activity will spoil the, the salmon beds throughout all of Alaska and I, I tell people that, that, um, anyone who says so is in, is in, bed with big salmon or something like that, and, and I know that what I'm saying is a lie, then that is obviously um, uh, bearing false witness against my neighbor. So that's what the Pope is getting at. And now here is the question. Um, oh, uh, he also quotes James 3, which I'm going to skip. James chapter 3 in the New Testament, um, talking about the tongue is a fire that sets things ablaze. So the question, what should we do as Christians... Do we stay on social media trying to be salt and light, or do we flee the temptation and seek greater truth elsewhere? All right. All right. Well, in case you're curious, I am not the Holy Spirit. Okay, I know I look a lot like him, but, <laughs> but no. Um, this, is, this is honestly, this is one of the great things about Christianity, is that we are told to, to be perfect, as our Heavenly Father is perfect, but we're also told that, that Jesus will send an advocate to be with us and teach us all things. So, so um, that's a hard one, and you're going to have to navigate that, probably not just once, but every day. How do you, how do you live out um, the ethical demands of the faith? Um, is a hard thing. You know, it would be easy to say, oh, no, get off Facebook. You know, Facebook's a terrible place. Um, and I think there's some, some good arguments, um, particularly if you're a teenage girl. I think some of the evidence that's coming out about um, the increase in depression since the, advo- since the um, uh, invention of the cell phone and social media has been devastating to young, um, young girls in particular, young boys, but also um, young girls. So, um, so I think that, that it's not, it's not a free thing to, to be on Facebook at all. But, um, but, uh, so here's the scenario, right? You're looking at Facebook. It's your friend. Okay. They post something that you know is false, right? What do you do, right? Do you block your friend? Do you jump into the fray and say, no, I know that that's not true. Um, that, that what you're posting there is, is a lie and I have evidence to, to say why. Um, that's a hard problem. Um, uh, and if it's not your friend, it's a lot easier. But if it's your friend, um, it's harder. So um, pray about it. You know, maybe, how about this as a thought? How about before you click like, hit your knees? You know, seriously, how much better would Facebook be or any social media platform if before you ever clicked like or before you ever hit share, you said, I'm going to spend a whopping 60 seconds praying about this topic and asking God to guide me and just tell me, what should I do? Should I, should I just say, it's, this is the last straw, I quit? Um, 
What should I do? So maybe this is an opportunity for you to say, God, um, guide me. I heard a great joke. Nothing to do with this passage. Um, I heard a great joke about prayer. Uh, a man is driving along. He's late for an appointment. He's got to get into the appointment, um, but he can't find a place to park his car, right? And so... Um, so he's like, you know, tempted to park in the fire lane or something because of super important appointment. He's got to get in there. He's got to do this thing. And so finally, out of desperation, he prays. He says, God, God, you know how important this appointment is. You know how much my life hangs in the balance of what takes place during this upcoming appointment. And I must not be late, Lord. So, so I'm praying, Lord, you will guide me to a parking spot. Lord, I pray that you would guide, guide me to a parking spot. And if you do, oh God, I will I will be your greatest advocate here on earth. I will attend church regularly. I will give generously. I will raise my children in the faith. Lord, I... Oh, wait. Wait a minute. He sees a car pulling out. He says, never mind. Here's one right now. <laughs> so, all right. I, I do like that joke. All right. So, um, so pray. Pray. You have a Holy Spirit. Uh, and I'm not him. Um, but... Uh, but pray. All right. All right. Last one. All right. So Isaiah 11. All right. Isaiah 11, verses 6 to 9. So let's go to Isaiah, which is on page 6. Someone's going to race me. Uh, 641. 641, right about the middle of the, the Pew Bible. So Isaiah 11, verses 6 through 9. Oh, okay. Alright, let's read the passage and then I'll read the question. So, um, Isaiah, uh, speaking, speaking to Isaiah, the Lord says, they will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And on that day, reading to... I'm sorry, I started I started at the end. My bad. All right. So the wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, the young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. All right. So the question is, what does this verse say about how we treat and should strive to treat animals used for entertainment, clothing, and food? Does the slaughterhouse look more like the work of God or the work of the devil? All right. And got a happy face <laughs> okay it's too late for the happy face all right no um that's a good it's a good question so um this is the this passage right here it says um the peaceful kingdom uh we quoted at christmas and then we don't think about how it might apply in our lives so um so what is what is being um foretold here by the prophet he's speaking about jesus the shoot will come out of the stump of jesse but then it talks about this peaceable kingdom that will be brought in by, by God. Um, <clears throat> and it has this imagery of, um, of even among animals that, that are, um, uh, 
that hunt and are prey for one another, the wolf and the lamb, the leopard and the kid, um, uh, that, that basically in this peaceable kingdom, there will be, uh, no, no harming of, of one another. So it's a, it's a great image and it, it certainly is contrary to our expectations. We don't expect that a child can, um, uh, a calf and a lion and a fatling can, can be together or not for very long. Um, so what does it say to us? Um, should, uh, how should we treat animals used for entertainment, clothing, and food? All right. Um, let's let's back up a second before we talk about how this passage specifically addresses it. Let's just talk about cruelty to animals. Period. Okay. Apart from this passage of scripture, um, uh, let me um, let me jump to John. I'm uh, sorry, Galatians five. So, because we'll talk about. Um, We'll come back to Isaiah and then we'll wrap up. So in Galatians chapter 5, which is on page 190, um, let me find my... Um, uh, on page 190 in the, the back section, the New Testament section, uh, Paul writing about what it's like to be part of the, the new, the new uh, creation when, when God is in the process of regenerating us, what does that look like? He says, live by the Spirit. Do not gratify the desires of the flesh, for what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit. Um, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh, for um, these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. Um, he says, the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions. Factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. So, um, you know, if you're Michael Vick and you want to get into the sport of dogfighting or something, I think you really have to ask yourself, am I more like the, the, the person here that, um, that Paul is writing about who is, who is consumed and governed by the, by the, um, uh, desires of the flesh, or am I more like someone who is bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, what is it that excites people to, to a bloodlust? Um, what is it that makes them indifferent to suffering? Um, I think that, that the apostle is telling us, um, it's not the Spirit of God. So, um, that, that those are works of the flesh. So I would say cruelty in general, um, uh, not just in the peaceable kingdom to come, but uh, all through all through history, throughout um, um, from from the very beginning until the very end, uh, cruelty, uh, desire to see blood, a desire to get even. Um, the you know we you know we can we can dissect that list in in Galatians five, but Paul is saying, be careful what what excites you, um, be careful what you're indifferent to, and so. Um, uh, as far as uh, cruelty um, or entertainment, you know, I mentioned um, uh, dog fighting or something like that. But but how about a slaughterhouse? Does a slaughterhouse look more like the work of God or the work of the devil? Um, I think that there are certainly some slaughterhouses that look a lot more like the work of the devil. Um, in fact, in the medieval art, we often see that's what they use to picture what what. Um, what uh, hell would be like. If you want to see some medieval artist who's trying to picture the torments of hell, they will often use images straight out of um, their their slaughterhouses. So 
Um, I think um, there's a, certainly a strong argument to be made about that. Um, is it possible for a slaughterhouse to look like the work of God? Well, um, there was one until 70 A.D. Um, there was one in Jerusalem called the Temple. Uh, all through the Old Testament, we see we see God has this temple where there is this um, sacrificial system with uh, ranks of different sorts of animals for different sorts of things, but not just animals, also grain and so forth. So is it possible? Um, there's certainly a depiction of one in Scripture, um, but I think it's been... Um, certainly the, the temple, the temple system is, is concluded. That scripture tells us that as Christians, the temple system is, is fulfilled. Jesus says that in his death, um, that whole system is, has reached its fulfillment. There's no need for us to sacrifice animals today. And actually, you know, there, there are still people. There's a small number of, um, of a Jewish sect that is still, uh, conducting, um, Sacrifices in the Temple Mount, um, and uh, um, and so that's still taking place. I don't I don't claim to understand all of their theology. Um, I guess the the question is, uh, you know, I think two, there's two questions: Is killing of any kind acceptable before God? Um, You know, because this gets into questions about um, uh, capital punishment and so forth, um, and that may in turn address Jim's question too: Is it possible to, you know, how far are we permitted to go to prevent um, evildoers from, um, you know, the the Golden State Killer? Um, is killing ever acceptable before God? Um, I don't have a solid answer about capital punishment. I did prison ministry for a year as a volunteer after my field ed, um, and I walked out with more questions about capital punishment than I went in with. So I don't have I don't have a good answer for that. Um, so um, I would not go so far as to say I cannot envision circumstances where all killing is opposed by God. I know that there's uh, many Christians who subscribe to that belief, and I'm just telling you from my own perspective, I can't go that far. In the case of animals, I think it's clear that animals rank lower than humans in God's um, economy, but at the same time, as we talked about um, last week, um, when the scripture says we have dominion, it's not dominion in the sense of this is mine and I can do with it what I want. It's dominion in the sense of I have a I have a um, a stewardship here. God has made me a scarecrow in His field. That doesn't mean I get to treat every part of this field the way I want to. You know, ask yourself if you're a scarecrow, how do you feel about how do you feel about the the grain? How do you feel about the the crows? You know, you know you have a role, but but it's God's creation. So um, I'm kind of not answering your question. I would say cruelty and indifference to suffering are always a bad sign. Um, is it possible for, for Christians to kill? Um, I can't say no. Um, 
and that would be true for for both humans and animals. Um, but beyond that, I think it would just have to be something I could explore. Um, maybe this is something, I've got a hard question sermon series coming up in the fall, and maybe I can do some research and get, get a better answer than that. So, with that, I think we need to, uh, we need to stop. Let's, let's go ahead and pray. Loving and holy God, um, uh, this world today does not look much like, um, that holy mountain. Um, so we take, comfort from the promise that um, whether or not we ever figure out how to do that, whether or not we're diligent in prayer, whether or not we ever are yielding to the Holy Spirit to guide us along that path, um, that you, your purpose will prevail and that the world will be made into the peaceable kingdom that you have, you have promised. Um, Lord, I know we will fail and we will falter. Um, so, Lord, I ask you to give us strength and give us clarity. Don't let us simply say, well, nobody's perfect. Don't let us say, I'm not sure, um, so let's not rock the boat. Lord, uh, stir up in us uh, a passion to to understand your will for animals, for wrongdoers, um, and, and, and where we fit in our society, both in terms of crime and punishment, in terms of animal welfare, um, and in terms of social media, Lord, guide us so we can be witnesses to your glory in this world. Through Christ our Lord, amen.